Would you join me in turning to God's Word to Genesis chapter 18? Genesis 18. We're going to be looking at the second half of that chapter. We started a couple of weeks ago talking about prayer. In the first couple of weeks, we talked more about uh, what prayer is, why we should pray, some, some more general things on prayer. But now we're going to move into different prayers and different prayers in the Bible. And so we're going to start uh, toward the beginning with one of the first conversations with God that, that really is, is described for us uh, in, in some detail. Uh, Ab- Abraham's a kind of unusual character to start with because, as we're reminded by, by Joshua later on, Abraham was actually lived across across the Euphrates River, beyond the river, Joshua says, and he worshipped idol gods there. It was a pagan land. And uh, the main uh, idol god of Ur of the Chaldees was the moon god. But there were many others as well. And, and so that's the culture that Abraham came from. And then later in his life, God came to him, this new god he had never heard of, and spoke to him, and started developing a relationship with Abraham. He called him to move from this uh, very civilized part, one of the earlier civilizations of the world, to very civilized part, to kind of the backwater of a place called Canaan. And he said, this is going to be your land. He said, I want you, I want to be your God, your only God. And I want you and your family to be my people. And then he, he said in Genesis 12, and I want you, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And the, the words there literally mean to the Gentiles. And so Abraham is given marching orders from the beginning. But what's really interesting in this somewhat lengthy uh, span of Genesis 12 to, to 22 in particular is Abraham's continual development, developing his relationship with God as God kept coming to him and kind of pushing him a little bit more and a little bit more and developing that relationship. And now we see that take another step in the first half of chapter 18. Abraham is, is there and all of a sudden he th- sees three men uh, coming by his, his tent and as was typical, the Middle Eastern hospitality of the day, he invites them in for a meal. He invites them to get out of the sun, rest for a while, have a meal before they move on their way. And they have this conversation, and in the middle of it, they tell him that his wife, Sarah, quite aged at that point, and unable to have any children up to this point, was going to have a son in the next year. And of course, that caused Sarah to laugh, But I think it provoked Abraham to greater faith. It stretched his faith. Now, God had already made a promise early on that he was going to have a son, and now now he's saying next year. Now he's putting a date on it, something that Abraham had already given up on. uh, But he stretches Abraham. He stretches his faith a little bit more. But then, of course, along the way, Abraham sort of understands that this is the Lord speaking to him, not just three men, but this is God appearing in what we would call theophany, the appearance of God in the Old Testament in bodily form. And uh, he is not only stretched in faith, but he is about to be provoked 
by God. Because God is going to mention Sodom. And Sodom is where Abraham's nephew Lot, who came, moved with him from Ur of the Chaldees, had settled with his family. And so Abraham's ears would perk up. And Abraham would have this conversation. Now, just a little background, so I don't have to do it during the, the sermon. Um, you might notice, if, as you read the second half of Genesis 18, that Lord is spelled two different ways. There's Lord with all capitals. Anytime you see that in our English translations, that means it's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. But then there's also Lord with a capital L in all small letters. And that always represents uh, a more generic term for Lord, Adonai. And so you see that when God is referred to here, he's referred to as Yahweh. But Abraham didn't know that covenant name yet. That wouldn't be given to them till Moses. Abraham just responds to him as Lord, a more generic term. And, and some people might think, well, that he didn't really even know this was God. But, but as we'll find out, um, at one point, he calls God the, the judge of all the earth. So he knows he, who he's talking to. So let's um, spend some time in that passage. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to read sections of it as we go, so we won't get to it right away. But uh, keep your Bibles open. Don't fear we'll get to it. I once had a person that was saying, you forgot to read your Bible when I was planning to do it this way. So I just have to give you that explanation. But let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come to you in prayer, we realize that there are many people throughout biblical history who have been called into prayer by you. We pray that we might learn from them, that we might learn from you what it means to be partners in prayer. We pray it in the name of the one through whom we come, Jesus our Lord. Amen. So last week, we, we continued our series on prayer asking, why pray? And we noted that we pray because prayer changes things, it changes us, and it serves God's purposes. But another question we might ask is, what is prayer? I like the answer Andrew Kivenhoven gave years ago in our denominational magazine, The Banner. He writes, every cry is not yet a prayer. The sailor who fell overboard hollered, God help, but his hand found a rope while he was falling, so he added, no, it's all right, I got the rope. Every human being at one time or another hurls a help to the skies, but that is not necessarily Christian prayer. Christian prayer is, first of all, an answer. Christian prayer is, first of all, an answer. We don't hurl the words to the vault of heaven, we give a humble and expected reply to the voice that has addressed us first. I like that. Christian prayer is, first of all, an answer. And we see that happening in today's scripture. God addresses Abraham as a partner, and Abraham responds. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we partners in prayer with God? So let's look at the first part of that, verses 16 through 21 to start. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and 
All nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. We'll stop there for a moment. Question 116 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, Why pray? And part of the answer is that God requires it. But here we see that, in fact, God often takes the initiative in prayer. He, he does so with Abraham, making clear that he wants a partner and not just a yes man. He wants Abraham to achieve the goal that he gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the goal of being a great nation and a blessing to others, particularly to the Gentiles. Abraham and his family would teach the world about what is just and right. So Sodom and Gomorrah is an object lesson in what happens to unrighteous people, instilling a bit of healthy fear, as C.S. Lewis once said, the highest and purest motive for obeying and serving God is love and gratitude. However, failing that, a good dose of fear is okay. Well, God jolts Abraham by first taking him into his confidence. He takes Abraham into his confidence. He wants Abraham to talk with him, and he asks Abraham for his response. He jolts Abraham in prayer, into prayer. After all, God's judgment is going to impact his nephew Lot and his family. Isn't this often why we pray? God jolts us with something. He jolts us with illness. He jolts us with death. He jolts us with a catastrophe, a family breakdown, the loss of a job. At times, God violates what we most believe to be true of him to call us into prayer. And then he reveals his purposes and listens for our response. John White wrote, If you are his friend, he will share his thoughts and plans with you. If you are his partner, he will be concerned about your views on his plans and projects. Whatever else prayer may be, it's intended to be a sharing and taking counsel with God on matters of importance to him. God has called you to attend a celestial board meeting to deliberate with him on matters of destiny. What we find in this passage and probably throughout our own lives, is that God doesn't necessarily just want a, a yes man. He wants a partner. He wants someone who will wrestle with him. And that's what we see going on next. Let's pick it up at verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Stop there a moment again. Abraham was jolted. 
He was jolted, and now we see him struggling with God's words, wrestling with him, exploring his will. Faith is wrestling with perplexity, and so is prayer. Without perplexity, there isn't much reason for faith or prayer. If we have God so nailed down that we're no longer perplexed or bewildered, then we've domesticated the God who said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, or neither are my ways your ways. I love this story that comes from on, about Franklin Roosevelt. I don't know if it's true or not. But when he was president, reportedly he grew tired of standing in endless reception lines, smiling, shaking hands, and making trivial small talk. So out of boredom one evening at a big White House reception to every person he shook hands with, he smiled a great big smile and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And everyone said, wonderful. Keep up the good work. We're all behind you, Mr. President. Only one person heard what he said. It was an ambassador who leaned forward and whispered, I'm sure she must have deserved it. If we're not occasionally shocked by the things God says and does, we're not listening. Abraham listened and was shocked. Was God violating his justice, allowing the the righteous to perish along with the wicked? And God wanted him to struggle with it, pray about it. What does God want us to struggle with today? What does he want us to pray about? Abraham prayed according to what he thought was God's will. In fact, he was so sure that he knew God's will in this matter, he said, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? When's the last time you prayed like that? When's the last time you prayed out of real compassion? Like a real partner, struggling to know God's will. Abraham's faithfulness was not in being a yes man, but a true partner, willing to risk and question God. Continue the story, verse 26. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy a whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. 
Why does God initiate wrestling with him in prayer? So we can come to know him and ourselves better. So we can grow in a closer partnership. The longer Abraham argued, the better he knew God. As the mathematics decreased from 50 to 10, his faith in God increased. God was willing to spare Sodom on on behalf of just 10 righteous people. As G. Campbell Morgan once said, God is not only better than our fears, but better than our hopes. But today we have much more of a Greek view of God. The Greeks saw their gods as apatheo in the language, without feeling, not part of their lives. And if you know anything about the myths of the Roman and Greek gods, you, you know that they could care less about people and you really didn't want them to be part of their lives because usually it was uh, mischief or worse. The trouble is when we see God as apatheo, then we become apatheo, apathetic, which is where that word comes from. But the gospel of Jesus Christ blows away that view of God as apatheo. God is involved in our lives, and prayer is one of the ways. For some inexplicable reason, writes Ben Patterson, in his sovereign lordship over our lives, he grants to the prayer of faith a power to which he consents to submit. That is, prayer changes things because God allows it to. So that, as James 5.16 states, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer not only changes things, it not only changes our view of God, but it also changes us. Abraham's prayer was not answered as he expected. Sodom was destroyed. There weren't ten righteous people to be found there, though Lot was spared. But God's justice was made clearer. And Abraham's understanding of God's justice and grace, as well as Abraham's faith, increased. Sometimes God's answers are not what we expect. But as Martin Luther said, we pray for silver, but God often gives us gold instead. Prayer often also changes us. Remember the patriarch Jacob who wrestled all night with God? We're going to talk more about him in detail next week. He wrestled all night with God and was given the name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. As Christ's church grafted into the olive tree that is Israel, according to Paul in Romans 11, we now bear that name. We are now Israel. We are now wrestlers with God. So by that very definition, the Christian's calling is to pray, to wrestle with God, to be changed. There's a a poem that came out of the bloody Civil War, and I'm guessing I've probably used it here before, but it's apropos. It was written by a soldier with massive injuries about his wrestling with God in prayer. And he wrote, I asked for strength, 
that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might win the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for, my prayers have been answered. Only a partner with God can say that. Can we? Let's pray. Father God, as we continue to worship you this morning, we're thankful that you are God who wants to be part of our lives, that you are not apathetic to our needs or our concerns, that you're not apathetic to what's going on in our world and the, the complaints we might have about it that you know what's going on in our lives and are willing to, to give us gold instead of the silver we sometimes ask for. We pray that you might continue to work with us as you develop this partnership that we have, even as you, as you patiently worked with Abraham, and that we might come to know you better. And now we pray that as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, that we might know you better through the, the sacrament, through the bread and the cup, what you have done for us in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.